Okay, so before Gary um, comes to preach to us this morning, I'm just going to do our reading. So if you have a Bible with you, it's at the very back in Revelation chapter 20, um, verses 11 to 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead, and that were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. I'm going to hand over to Gary now. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you for hosting us this morning. Good morning, Orangefield. Good morning, all. And uh, it's great to see you this morning here. Let me just set out my stall. And... Uh, I'm Gary. I'm Gary. I'm the associate minister here at Orangefield, and uh, sometimes people ask me, Gary, what's the difference between being uh, the minister and being the associate minister? So let me explain it like this. This morning, I get to preach on Revelation 20, the judgment and the lake of fire. Next Sunday, Gareth gets to preach on Revelation 21, the new heaven, the new earth, and everything rosy in the garden again. That's the difference between being the minister and being the associate minister. No, the associate post has some benefits to it. Um, I'm sure it has. I'm sure. No, no, seriously. It's great to be here. And it's, you know, it, it, it's, it's wonderful to be preaching this morning and listening this morning because I, I do believe that God has something really important to say to us this morning. It has certainly kept me out of mischief as I have prepared to speak on judgment. Uh, it focuses the mind, and I do believe, as I say, that God has something really important to say to us. We're moving on through our series that we're in. The story that we live in is a story that we live out. And as we move on through that story, uh, we've looked at some pretty big days, some big days in that story. Um, you know, like, like in the beginning, the day when God created the heavens and earth, or the day when he created Men and women in his, in his image. Or that day in the garden when Adam and Eve rebelled against God and sinned against him and were put out of the garden. Or, or that day when God promised to send a redeemer who would reconcile the world again to himself. That day the redeemer came. Christ was born. That day he died on the cross. That day he rose again from the dead. That day he ascended into heaven. The day he poured out his spirit at Pentecost to birth his church and to create a people to live in and live out his story. You see, as we have looked at this story, we have looked at some big days. But here's the thing. The biggest day is still to come. The biggest day is still to come. See, often when people talk about the big day, they're talking about their wedding day. And I'm speaking with a couple, young couple uh, this week, and, and I'm going to help them celebrate their big day in July, and, and it's all very exciting uh, as, as we plan those things. 
We often use the, the, the term big day to describe a wedding day. And you see, the big day that we are looking forward to as God's people is described in the Bible as like a wedding day. Looking into the future and, uh, and, and to that day in Revelation 19, it says this. It says, let us rejoice. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb, that's Jesus, has come. And his bride, that's us, has made herself ready. And you see, traditionally, the, for the bride and groom, the, the big day consists of three related and vital elements. There's the wedding ceremony where, where vows are exchanged. There's the reception where food and speeches are enjoyed, or at least food's enjoyed. And then there's the, the consummation of the marriage when the two become one. And likewise, you see, on the big day, there will be three vital and related elements. And we can't look at any one of them in isolation, really. We can't. And these three events will be, they will be the return of Jesus Christ. That's the groom coming for his bride. Then there, was the, there will be the judgment of all people. That's the separating out of the people who are the bride from those who are not. And then there's the coming together of heaven and earth of God and his people, of bride and groom, as the two become one. In the church's historic creed, we, we talk about the big day like this. We say, we believe he will come again in glory. That's his return to judge the living and the dead. That's the judgment. And his kingdom will have no end. That's heaven and earth united forever. You see, this will be the final great defining moment of the story that we live in and are living out. And it's going to be a big day. It's going to be a big day. And in a few moments that we have together here, this day, well, it's just not possible for me to do justice to that day. So, so let me recommend a, a few books, that, a few resources that, um, that I found helpful as I prepared and that you can perhaps go and have a look at and find out a little more or a lot more uh, for yourself. I've... Pete Hughes, All Things New, it's kind of been the textbook for, for our series. And then, and then we have this little book here, um, by Jeremy Ryan, How Will the World End? It's, you know, wouldn't take a whole lot of reading and it's very in insightful. Or The God I Don't Understand, Reflections on Tough Questions of Faith by Chris Wright. And if Chris Wright is talking about some elements of our faith which are hard to understand, then I have no problem in saying there are some elements that aren't easy for us under to understand. But let us look briefly at, at these three components of this upcoming big day. Mostly at the first two, because Gareth is going to, to speak on the last one at next Sunday. So first of all, the return of Jesus Christ. Firstly, he is on his way. St. Paul writes, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven. Will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. You see, I think often maybe we don't think about Jesus' return. Often we can just put it in there in a song and sing about it and move on. And, and maybe sometimes when we do think about it, we think, why is he taking so long? It's been a long time. Is he really going to come at all? But let's just have a look at where we are in this great unfolding story. 
his birth, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his pouring out of the Spirit on the church. You see, these have all happened just as the Bible said. And so we see absolutely no reason to doubt that his return in glory will also come to pass. You see, this is a chain of events, and it's a chain of events that is unstoppable because this story is unstoppable because who can stop the Lord Almighty? And you see, I don't think he's dragging his heels, folks. I think he's being patient with us. I think he's given us time to be ready, to be prepared. Because the Lord himself will come down from heaven. And you see, another thing is that many people have tried to work out when would happen. You know, there's been many predictions in the past of when he was going to return, and they've all been wrong so far. So I think we don't waste our time trying to work that out because Jesus himself was clear. He said in Mark 13, he said, about that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Suffice to say, he's on his way. And he's a day closer today than he was yesterday. The return of Jesus. Secondly, it will be personal. It will be the real life Jesus and it will be recognizably him. As the angels said to the men of Galilee as they watched his ascension, this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. You see, those who watched Jesus go into heaven were in absolutely no doubt, yes, that's definitely Jesus. And when he returns we will be in absolutely no doubt. Yes, that's definitely Jesus. The return of Jesus will be 30. It will be public. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye, every eye will see him. You see, in other places, the Bible talks about him coming as as publicly as a flash of lightning at night. And we know that Everyone, we don't, we don't know how everyone will see him at once. But just as lightning flashes, it is not hidden. It's very public. And as we see the lightning, so we will see the Lord. And no one's going to miss it. Every eye will see him. The return of Jesus Christ, fourthly, it will be, it will be glorious. It will be glorious. St. Paul writes to the church, we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, first time around, Jesus came as a humble little baby in a stable. Next time around, he comes as glorious reigning king on the clouds. First time around, it was in the dirt surrounded by a few a few smelly shepherds. Next time round, it's in glory surrounded by an army of angels. You see here, we're talking about the coming of the creator of the universe in person, of the king of kings, of the Lord of lords, of our great God and savior. And it will be utterly glorious. So he's on his way and his appearance will be personal, it will be public and it will be glorious. That's the first element of the big day. The next part is the bridegroom, the, the, the coming bridegroom separating out of those who are part of the body of, of the bride and those who are not. The judgment. 
Firstly, again, it will certainly take place. A writer to the Hebrews writes, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, as surely as we will die, so we will be judged. It will certainly happen, whether we like the idea of it or not, and whether we're prepared for it or not. The judgment, secondly, it will be inclusive. It will be inclusive. It will be the judgment of all people, the living and the dead. Those who are alive when Christ returns will stand before him, and the dead will be resurrected and will also stand before him. As Sarah just read those words for us, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. You see, everyone, everyone will be present. The great, there will be no one too rich, no one too powerful, no one too famous to avoid the judgment. And the small, there will be no one too poor, no one too weak, no one too insignificant to avoid the judgment. And there will be no exemptions. There will be no exceptions. You see, the earth and the sky will flee from his awesome holy presence. But we won't have that option. The sovereign Lord of all the universe will will summon all humanity, the living and the dead, the great and the small, and everyone who has ever lived will stand before the throne of God on that great day of reckoning. And, And look, heaven and earth will have gone out of the picture and all eyes will be on the throne. All eyes will be on the throne and on the lamb and the lion, Jesus Christ. The judgment 30, Jesus will be the judge. As Peter says in the book of Acts, Jesus is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. It is Jesus who is doing the judging. Thankfully, it's not me, and it's not you, and, 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 and it's not anyone else who will be doing the judging. So I remember whenever I worked on the building sites as, as a roofer, and I worked with one uh, builder's laborer, a lovely Christian man called Jim. And uh, Jim would take a lot of stick from some of the lads on the building side. But it didn't stop him from living for Jesus and for witnessing for Jesus in his workplace. And one day we were all having our lunch and we're gathered around and we're sitting on our own breeze block or bag of cement or whatever we were sitting on and we had our pieces out as we called them. And uh, so we're all sitting there having our sandwiches and, and Jim came along and he started handing out little gospel tracts. And uh, I took one, everybody took one out of politeness. You know, most of the guys took one. And until Jim came to this one guy, and let's call him Johnny. And Jim handed him a, a little tract, and Johnny said, Jim, you, you wouldn't be offended. You won't be offended if I don't take one. And Jim looked at him and he said, Johnny, I won't be offended at all because it won't be me you'll be dealing with. And I thought, yeah, that was a good answer. I won't be offended at all because it won't be me you'll be dealing with. No, it will be Jesus who will be doing the the judging. And Jesus, fully God and fully man. It's interesting, it's not God the Father. It's Jesus, fully God and fully man. Jesus, the one who has walked the earth, who understands the struggles, the trials, the temptations of every human heart. 
It is he who will do the judgment, the judging. The judgment. Fourthly, it will be completely just. The psalmist writes that he will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. His judging will be full of grace and truth, just as John's gospel tells us that he is full of grace and truth. And you know, we sometimes, uh, on television or on the papers, we follow court cases uh, here on earth, and even in the most professional trials in the world, sometimes there is a miscarriage of justice. But on the big day, the judgment will be perfect. There will be nothing left out or nothing added in. It will be literally, totally, and completely the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And the one who will be doing the judging is the one with full knowledge of all facts. He knows every single heart and mind, every thought and deed. He knows all the facts, and he is the embodiment of justice. The judgment, fifthly, it will be according to the lives we have lived. We read in our reading, each person was judged according to what they have done, what they had done. You see, on the judgment day, what this is saying, the judgment day, the time for words will have passed. We will not be judged by our words, but by our deeds. Jesus himself warned us, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You see, that's what the books are about. Yes, we are justified entirely by faith in Christ. As as St. Paul writes to the Ephesians, he writes this, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You see, it is Jesus Christ who justifies us. It is Christ who died for our sins so that we can be dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless stand before the throne. It is Jesus who rose again to give us life, life, fullness of life, eternal life, and it is through faith in him that he puts our names in the book of life. So that is the book of life, and all who trust in Jesus have their names in the book of life. But what about these other books then? What about these other books? Well, in these books are recorded the evidence of our faith in Jesus. As St. Paul goes on in his letter to the Ephesians, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, in order for, for, to evidence our salvation by grace through faith, our faith-affirming works are recorded in those other books. <clears throat> Herein, Herein is the record of those times when we fed the hungry, give the thirsty something to drink, welcome the stranger, clothe the naked, look after the sick, and visited the prisoner. As Jesus talks about in his parable of the sheep and the goats in Matthew chapter 25. So what is recorded in those books to evidence our faith? What works have we done to prove our faith in the one that we call Savior and Lord. And thirdly, the judgment will be to an eternal destination, to either a place of punishment, death, and destruction away from God. It tells us anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire, or to a place of blessing, of life and recreation in the presence of God. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Look, the dwelling, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. 
And that will be the final eternal destination of all those who are trusting in Jesus. It will be amazing. We will be truly lost in wonder, love, and praise. And as I said, Gareth will be speaking on this next Sunday, so I'm not going to spend too long there just now, so to speak. But this other final destination, this one described as the lake of fire, it is variously described and depicted in other parts of the Bible as a place of, of wailing and gnashing of teeth, of a place of torment, a place of punishment, a place of separation from the love of God, a, a place of the devil and his fallen angels, a place of darkness, of death, of destruction, hell. And we all deserve it because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all sinned and broken his righteous and holy laws and commandments. We have all thought and said and done things that we shouldn't have and we've all neglected to think and say and do things that we should have. We have not loved the Lord with all our heart and mind and soul and strength. And we have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not. And we know this to be the case. And we know also that justice demands that the lawbreaker be punished. And that's us. And that's the bad news. But here's the wonderful good news. God in his mercy and in his grace, God the Father offered God the Son in our place to take our punishment for our sins. That's the core of the good news of the gospel. As we sung earlier, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. At the cross, you see, as Isaiah says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. God is just, yes, But thankfully, God is also merciful. You see, the holiness and righteousness and justice of God demands that sin, that law-breaking be punished. But here's the offer. Here's the offer from a God of grace. At the cross, Jesus took the punishment so that we wouldn't have to. He went through hell so that we wouldn't have to. And here's the question. Have we said yes to this amazing substitutionary exchange that God offers us? Have we confessed our sins unto Jesus, accepted his forgiveness, let him pay the debt that we could never pay? Or are we going to take that punishment ourselves and face that hell ourselves? That, quite literally, is the burning question. You see, at the coming judgment, those who have not repented of sin, those who have not thanked Jesus for taking that punishment, they must then take it themselves. Those who have not accepted the gift of eternal life must then accept the wages of sin, which is death. You see, in in judgment, God is punishing sin, but he is also preparing a place, a sin-free place for his redeemed people to dwell for God's redeemed people to to have a place free of sin, a place described as a place of no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, than those who would cling to sin and its attendant death and crying and mourning and pain. They cannot be there. They must be gone elsewhere. So judgment is good news because judgment guarantees 
that God is creating a place, will make a place, free from sin, a place free from sin for all those who trust in Jesus to live in bliss and blessing forever. Now for our departed loved ones, who as St. Paul says in his letter to the Thessalonians, for our departed loved ones who have fallen asleep in the Lord, we look forward. We look forward to that wonderful day of Jesus' resurrection, of Jesus' return, of resurrection, of reunion with our reawakened loved ones in glory forever. And those loved ones who have, who have passed on that we're not so sure about where they stood in their faith, that can be a terrible burden for us at times, can't it? Wondering, where are they? But I want to point us to the cross. And I want to point us to the cross beside the cross. Because thereon is a thief. A dying thief who had shown no sign of faith in his life. He's being put to death for being a criminal. And as he hangs there on the cross, the onlookers are surely thinking, we know where he's headed. But they didn't. But Jesus did. You see, this criminal turns to Jesus and with his dying breath, he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replies to him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. You see, this is what we mean by saved by grace. So we hold out hope. We hold out hope always that our loved ones have asked Jesus, even with their dying breath, and accepted that wonderful promise that is for all who believe in him. Because Jesus is willing to redeem right up to the last because that's what he came to do. To seek and to save and to lead sinners home to paradise. So just as I finish, Jesus is on his way. And when he comes, he will judge all people and an eternal destination awaits us. The Lord himself warns us, so you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So here's the question. Are we ready? Let's pray for a moment together, shall we? Let's just linger for a moment on that question. Are we ready? And if we're not ready, then maybe today is the day to get ready for that day. So let me invite you to take this opportunity that the Lord is giving you to do that just now. Perhaps you'd like to to use the words of a of a, of a prayer, it's a, a little prayer that's in the Why Jesus booklet. Perhaps you'd like to use these words in the quietness of your heart before the Lord. I'll pray this prayer, and if you would like to pray it and confess your sin, accept his forgiveness, get your name in the book of life, you can pray this prayer after me. Lord Jesus Christ, 
I'm sorry for the things I have done wrong in my life. Please forgive me. I now turn from everything that I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. I now receive that gift. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit and be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. 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 Folks, if you've just prayed that prayer or a similar prayer to it at any stage in your life, if we prayed that prayer and we're backing it up with our words with our accent, our words with our accents, then let us be assured. Because I believe God really wants us to have this assurance today. Let us be assured that we are forgiven, that we are free and our names are indeed in his book of life. You see, that's the good news of the gospel. That's the good news of the gospel. And St. John, he says in his second letter, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you might know that you have eternal life. Folks, know it today. Be assured of it today. Because it's God who seeks, who saves, who keeps, all by his grace. And therefore, we have nothing to fear from the Lord's return. In fact, we look forward to it with longing and anticipation. We look forward to the big day.